you have your Bibles with you, I hope you do, turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. 2 Corinthians chapter 9. It's always amazing to me, it was amazing to me when I was uh, in the other role, how God aligns things musically and through the message without us having anything to do with it, without us meeting and planning and, and all those things. And I'll just give you a couple of lines from that song, Graves in the Gardens. It talks about treasures that fade and how apropos that would be that we're talking today about three approaches to giving. And then it says, which I think is the key to the song, and really it's not in the message, but it's the key to the message, is that nothing is better than you. When we look at him and say, Lord, there's nothing. Nothing is better than you. Nothing is above you. Nothing is worth more than you. I think we really understand how to approach this topic today. So again, we're talking today about one of the more controversial subjects preached in churches across America, and that is giving. And some of you would ask, well, why would any preacher in their right mind, which you've got a faulty premise there in my case, but why would anybody in their right mind preach on giving? Y'all supposed to laugh at that. It makes me feel a little self-conscious when you don't laugh. You think, never mind. But here's, here's my answer. Here's why we talk about it, because Jesus talked about it. And I want you to hear me, church. If Jesus talked about it, you can bet you're going to hear it from this pulpit. Good, bad, indifferent, otherwise it makes people mad, it makes people sad, it makes people happy. It doesn't matter. If the Lord Jesus Christ, while he was in the flesh, walking on this earth, spoke about something, I'm going to speak about it. And I want to preface this message by saying thank you. Thank you to our Wemo family. Our church family has given above and beyond in the past year, and it has been such a rich blessing on your leadership, on the staff. I know the finance team has not aged near as much in the past year. John, well, not John. He looks like he's aged more, but I'd get you back. Never let the guy with the microphone be the guy you poke early in the service because he's coming back. But our finance team has aged less in the past year than they did the previous three. All right, And it's because of you guys being faithful, you guys being true to what God has led you to do. So thank you. Your faithfulness has allowed us to make some significant improvements and upgrades. Your faithfulness has allowed us to continue to fund ministries. And your faithfulness is what's given us the ability to dream and vision and look at maybe what God might be doing down the road. And I'm excited about all those things that he's doing. And so I will give you the same admonishment that Paul gave to the church at Galatia in Galatians 6, 9, when he said, let us not grow weary of doing good. So he's telling that church at Galatia, hey, you've been doing good, but don't get tired of doing good. And I would tell you this morning, Westmobile Baptist Church family, from your pastor's heart, from your staff, from your elders, from your, your finance team, don't grow weary in doing good. The rest of that verse says, for we will reap at the proper time if we don't give up. Now, before we dive into the actual verse in 2 Corinthians, I want to give you two, I want to give you the two schools of thought on tithing and giving in the New Testament church. Now, I could get up here and I could just preach about what I think. I could get up here and I could ignore one and talk about the other, but I don't want to do that. I don't want to insult your intelligence. I'm going to give you both sides of the fence. And then when we get to the end of the message, I'm going to tell you where I land on it. So the first group believes that tithing is still a requirement for the New Testament church. Now they point to the fact that tithing began before the Mosaic law. If you look in Genesis 14, you'll see Abraham tithing to Melchizedek. 
Um, and then if you look in Genesis 28, you see that Jacob promises God to give him, quote, a full tenth. Now this is before the Mosaic Law. This is before the institution of the tithe as far as the, the law of Israel was concerned. And yet you see this already happening outside of the law. So it, it predates the law. So those people would say if it predates the law, then it postdates the law. It's still part of what we should do. Now there's another group that believes that tithing was only a, a law instituted requirement, that it is an Old Testament, Old Covenant command, and it's not applicable in the New Covenant. They say the stories of Abraham and Jacob were not patterns for which we're required to follow. They say that tithing was in order to pay and see after the priests and the Levites, of which we don't have anymore, so they say that no longer is needed. And then one of the most um, debated uh, points of, of contention in this debate comes when Jesus mentions the tithe in Matthew 23. Now, in Matthew 23, let me just read it for you, verses 23 and 24, it says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! You pay a tenth of mint, dill, and cumin, yet you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, faith, and, uh, justice mercy, and faith. These things should have been done without neglecting the others. Blind guides, you strain out a gnat, yet gulp down a camel. Now, one set of the people, one side of the argument says, well, if Jesus mentions it in Matthew, then it's still required for the New Testament church. The other group says, yeah, but that was before. Let me get that out of the way. That'll trip me. The other says that was before the death, burial, and resurrection, so the new covenant hadn't come to a fruition yet, and so it's still a predated, uh, out-of-date requirement. Is everybody clear on that? So we got two groups. One say it happened before the law, so it's still good. Others say it's only the law, and the law has been uh, changed out for the new covenant, so it's not good anymore. All right? Now, what we're going to do is we're going to dive into this verse, and I'm going to give you three approaches to giving. Three approaches to giving. And I want you to think about how you fall into one of these three areas, and then at the end of this, I'm going to tell you where I land on the issue of tithing and giving in the New Testament church, okay? If you would, stand with me this morning. I know we just got sat down and comfortable, Brother Kevin, but that's okay. I don't want anybody to doze off. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, and I'm going to read verse 6 to get us a running start. I know that if I didn't, that Lucas would be sitting there going, now what are we doing in 7 when we didn't do 6? Because that's the way Lucas is. A, he's, a, he's, a, he's a rational thinker. All right. So I'm going to read 6, get into 7, but then we're going to break down 7 and see what God has to say to us through it, okay? All right. Remember this, the person who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and the person who sows generously will also reap generously. Each person should do as he has decided in his heart, not out of regret or out of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. Father God, speak to us today through your word. Prick our hearts, Lord. Let us come closer to the Lord Jesus Christ and be obedient in every respect because he's worthy. We pray this in his name. Amen. You may be seated. So the first point, the first approach to giving this morning I want to talk about is grudgingly giving. Grudgingly giving. Now, before we get into that part, though, I want to look at the, the very first thing the verse says. It says, uh, each one should do as he has decided in his heart. The New American Standard Bible translates that as, as he has purposed in his heart. Now, those of you that have been here the past several weeks, and we were preaching in Daniel, when I say that, each person should do as he has purposed in his heart, you should have little sparks going off. 
and say, oh, 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 purposed in his heart. That's what Daniel did. What did Daniel do? Daniel, before the institution came down on him and said, you've got to live this way, Daniel had already made the decision and purposed in his heart, no, I'm not. I'm going to follow God. I'm going to do what Yahweh tells me to do, regardless of what happens outside of that. And so our approach to giving, I believe that the Bible is telling us here, each person should do what Daniel did. When it comes to giving, we should purpose in our heart. In other words, before the bank gets high or low, before the, 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 before the check gets deposited, before we cash the check, before we write the check, before we leave the house, before we hit the digits on the direct deposit or on the, the app or whatever, before we get involved in it, we need to purpose in our heart. We need to do as we have decided, as we have purposed in our heart. Now, the kicker to that is the Holy Spirit should be the one doing the purposing. And, and if you purpose something in your heart as a follower of Jesus, that should indicate that the Holy Spirit is at work in you in doing the purposing. Listen, if you purpose in your heart to cheat on your wife, that's not the Holy Spirit, brother. If you purpose in your heart to cheat on your husband, that ain't the Holy Spirit, sister. If you purpose in your heart not to give, that ain't the Holy Spirit. That's an old pride. That's an old flesh. That's old greed. If you purpose in your heart to do something contrary to the Scriptures, that's not the Holy Spirit. And I would challenge you to check yourself. If you are a follower of Christ, you're a born-again believer, when you purpose something in your heart, that's because the Holy Spirit living in you is doing the purposing. Now, I should have said this before. With each of these three points, I've written one statement that I'm trying to capture the whole point in. And here's the one for the grudgingly giving. The Spirit will not lead you to give out of pressure. He will lead you to give with pleasure. The Spirit will not lead you to give out of pressure. He will lead you to give with pleasure as you have purposed in your heart. Now, the next part and the part we're really going to get into here as far as the grudgingly part says not out of regret. That word regret in the Greek is lupe. All right? And here's the meaning of that Greek word. Grief, grudgingly, heaviness, sorrow. You, hear the, you feel the meaning? You feel the weight of that word? So here's what it's saying. We are not to give out of a sense of sorrow or grief or heaviness like there's a grudge that we're carrying. By the way, you know who gets tired if you're carrying a grudge? You do. You're the one carrying it. So don't give out of grudgingly. Don't, don't have a grudging spirit about you. I know preachers who try to exert pressure on their congregations to give. I know there, there, there are people who approach it that way and, and they want to just make it feel like a weight and you have to do this and you have to do that. And, and you know, man, we need to, everybody needs to give in, chip in. I don't think that's how we need to approach it. Now, I also don't believe we should give as a means of trying to leverage God, that we're trying to twist God's arm. We're trying to, you know, we're trying to like, like hey, Lord, if you'll bless me, I'll uh, make it worth your while. Because here's the thing, church. He is the God who owns the cattle of a thousand hills. You know what that means? That means a rancher. When I said that, immediately I saw Jacob light up. Late Jacob likes steak, amen? So Jacob thought, man, if he has all the cattle on a thousand hills, we're about to have a barbecue. We're going we're to fire, fire the grill up. No, no, no. Here's the thing. That, that verse where he owns a cattle of a thousand hills is talking about that God's wealth is immeasurable. But here's the, here's the problem we have with it, okay? He's giving some of that to you. He's entrusting that to you. If you have 100% of what you have, then that's 100% that God has gifted you with. And you say, Brother Kevin, you don't know. I work hard at my, I, I got a career and I got talents and skills. Who gave you those? Who opened those doors for you to get that job? Who opened those doors for you to get that contract, for you to have that skill, for you to have that ability? God did. Everything you have is a gift that God has given you. And so he has taken his wealth of the 
cattle of a thousand hills and he's entrusted it to you and he's asking you to be a good steward with it. And that doesn't mean that you're supposed to grudgingly give back. That doesn't mean that you're supposed to try to tip God or, or influence God with how you give. Listen to a couple of verses on how God gives. James 1.17 Every generous act and every perfect gift is from above coming down from the Father of lights. Isn't that beautiful? Every, every generous act, every perfect gift, that's how God gives. And then listen to Romans 8.32 8, He did not even spare His own Son, but offered Him up for us all. How will He not also with Him grant us everything? There's a Christian industrialist by the name of R.G. Letourneau. He is a man who is a Christian whose ministry is industry. He, he does things in business and he does it in a way that honors God. And here's what he said. If you give because it pays, it won't pay. If you give because it pays, it won't pay. Now, when I was reading this and trying to figure out, I knew that God was aiming me toward giving and I tried not to. I'm just being honest. I was like, Lord, giving is up. I don't want to preach on giving when giving's up. I might, I might, like, I don't want to mess with it. You know, like everything's everything's spinning, and I don't want to get my hands on it. But God kept on impressing me. We need to do this. We need. To, I said, okay. Well, I got down to Second Corinthians nine seven. I got down to Romans twelve one, and I was like, well, where do I preach? And God said, preach out of Second Corinthians, but tell them about Romans twelve. So here, let me give you this. You want, to look, you want to look for a great model and how we should live and how we should give? Look at Romans 12.1. Paul says, Therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, I urge you, I beseech you, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual worship. One translation, I think the New King James says, this is your reasonable act of worship. Now, reasonable act of worship. Now, I know that Hunter is a straight-A student, and we're not... You're a straight-A student, right? Okay, man, scare me for a minute. I did that in the first service. Somebody, they looked like, I was like, "Uh (laughs) uh-oh. Their their mama's going to go home and look at their report card. All right, this is not saying that this is a straight-A student approach to giving, approach to living, approach to worship and service. He's saying this is your reasonable act. This is entry level. Any C students in here? Don't raise your hand. Don't raise your hand. This is C-level. This is just not C-level like C-level, but never mind. See, y'all missed another one. Anytime a, anytime a squid says C-level, Ron was like, Ron jumped up. This is entry-level worship. This is your entry-level act of service to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. What happens in a sacrifice? Something gets killed. Something gets used up. Let me give you what this means. The word bodies there is the word soma in the Greek, and it is an organized whole made up of parts and members. Now, an organized whole, W-H-O-L-E, made up of parts and members. Here's what Paul's saying. We must present our whole self, our entire self to God as our act of worship or service. Now I want you to think about three facts about what happens when we do that. You can't present your whole self and hold back your money, your time, or your talents. Y'all didn't hear that. You cannot present your whole self and yet hold back of your money, time, and talents. If you've got a gift, an ability, you've got uh, time on your hands or a skill, you need to be giving that to the Lord. You need to be serving the Lord with whatever He's gifted you to do. You say, well, Brother Kevin, I can't preach or teach. I can build cabinets. Build cabinets for Jesus. Brother Kevin, I can't preach, I can't teach, I can't lead worship. But i got a backhoe and I know how to run it. Well, we got a ditch we need dug. 
We, need, we got some stuff we need. Hey, I can run a chainsaw. I've seen Byron run a chainsaw. It can't be that hard. <laughs> I'm going to pay for that one. But listen, you can do things for God with your talents, with your time, with your money. You don't have to be on stage. You don't have to be on a microphone. You don't have to be in front of a classroom. God has gifted all of us differently. That's what makes the body of Christ such a beautiful thing. You don't have toes trying to be eyes and noses trying to be fingers. We all find a place to serve in the body. We all find a place where we can take our talents and our gifts and we can put them on the altar. So you can't present your whole self and hold back your money, time, or talents. Number two, you can't present your whole self unless you do it freely and willingly. You can't grudgingly give your whole body on the altar as a living sacrifice. You can't do it. You can't do it. It's impossible. And then number three, you can't present your whole self as a living sacrifice and not expect to get burned up on the altar. And so here's what that's saying. Lord, all of my life, all of my talents, all of my money, all of my gifts, they're yours. But, there's no but. If you're going to put it on the altar, it's going to get burned up. And whatever God decides to burn up, look at me, it needs to be burned up. Let it turn to ash rather than you hold on to it and let go of the cross of Christ. Rather you choose to hold on to something that needs to be burnt up rather than holding on to the nail-scarred hands of Jesus Christ. Don't think that you can get out of this thing without being singed, church. We are all called to be living sacrifices. And if we're putting ourselves on the altar, bless God, something's going to get burned up. So that's grudgingly giving. Number two is guilty giving. Guilty giving. The next part of the verse says we're not supposed to give, quote, out of necessity. And that word is ananke. Ananke. And it's spoken of as arising from the influence of other persons. It's, it's constraint. It's compulsion. We're not to give out of feelings of guilt. Tony Evans said that giving ought to be a joy and not a job. That's what we're called to do. Give it as a joy and not a job. Let me tell you what the Proverbs said. Proverbs 11.24 said, One person gives freely yet gains more. Another withholds what is right only to become poor. And then Proverbs 11.28 says, Anyone trusting in his riches will fall, but the righteous will flourish like foliage. Now, let me give you the Florella translation of that verse, all right? Austin, you ready? Hillary, you know this one. If you, let, let me read it for you. Anyone trusting in their own bank account is going to be a hot mess. But the righteous will grow like kudzu. That's what that's saying. You, listen, you can nuke kudzu and it'll grow back two days. I'm convinced. And the righteous will flourish like foliage. It will grow like kudzu if you are obedient Not trusting in your riches, but trusting in Christ. Not trusting in what you can pile up, but trusting in what God has already done for you in spite of you. Listen, here's the second statement. Remember I told you I got a statement about the Spirit in each one of these. Here's the second one. The Spirit will not guilt you into doing anything. He will guide you into doing the right thing. The Spirit will not guilt you into doing anything. He will guide you into the right thing. Now, sometimes... Some of us need to be guided with steer horns. Anybody else? Just me. Okay, that's fine. All right, thank you, Pep. Sometimes, sometimes the Holy Spirit guides you with a whisper, and sometimes He guides me with a thump on the ear. Sometimes I feel like a ram 
popping me in the backside telling me to go and I'm trying to hold back. Either way, the Spirit is going to be the one guiding you, not guilting you. He's going to lead you to do the right thing every single time that you listen to Him. If the Spirit is moving and Spirit is leading for you to give, give. I don't believe that the Spirit would ever lead you to give something in the wrong way. And listen to what Warren Wiersbe said about this. He said, people who lovingly give tithes and offerings to God find that whatever is left over goes much farther and brings much greater blessing. And I'm going to tell you this, I can amen that. Listen, giving was not a natural thing for me to do. Uh, my dad did not give. My dad, y'all have heard my testimony, my dad sent me to church, never took me to church. Uh, only the last two months of my dad's life was he saved. And if it hadn't have been for a near-death experience at the hospital, my dad would be in hell now. But bless God, the mercies of God gave him an opportunity to repent of his sins and recant. Let me tell you one of the first things my dad did after he truly came to Christ. He told my mom, I want my own offering envelopes. This is my dad who never gave any of his money. He was always fussing at her about giving money to the church. And yet here he is writing his own offering check the last two months of his life because he wanted to be fully obedient to everything that God had called him to do. That's the changed life. And that's what you understand when you understand that when you lovingly give your tithes and offerings to God, he will bless and he will take it places that you could never imagine. Now I want to give you two examples about this, about how this is when you're not uh, giving out of guilt, when you're giving out of the overflow. One of them from the Old Testament, one of them from the New. So first let's go to 2 Chronicles 31.5. 2 Chronicles 31, this is just a couple, few chapters after King Hezekiah has come into power. He had a bunch, we had, you know, anybody familiar with the Old Testament kings? Israel had a good king, they prospered, they got cocky, they got a bad king and everything went to pot. Then they got you know, captivity or pro uh, problems or, or famine and they got a good king and they went back up. All right, Hezekiah is a good king. Hezekiah comes in and says, I'm going to make everything right. So he sets the temple back up. He reestablishes all the worship. He gets everybody back lined up and everybody's so excited. We find them here in chapter 31, verse 5. When the word spread, the Israelites gave liberally of the best of the new grain, new wine, oil, honey, and of the, all the produce of the field. And they brought in an abundance a tenth of everything. So that's what happens when you get your house in order, when you get your worship right, when you get your heart right with Jesus, you want to give. I'm just telling you this morning, you cannot give him. You cannot give him. If he blesses you and gives you anything, you understand it's from him and you want to give back. God, how can I use this to bless you? How can I use this to advance your kingdom? When Hezekiah came in and set the temple right and got the worship right, then the giving followed. Can I tell you this morning? The same thing will happen in your life. Get your temple right. Get your worship right. And then watch your giving come out of that. And then look at 1 Corinthians chapter 16. 1 Corinthians 16, Paul's talking to the church at Corinth, and here's what he says in verse 1. Now about the collection for the saints. All right, now, let me remind you, this is post-resurrection, post-ascension, post-new covenant, all of that, okay? Post-Pentecost, everything is done, and here's what Paul says. Now about the collection for the saints, you should do the same as I instructed the Galatian churches. How do you instruct them? Remember, don't grow weary in doing good. On the first day of the week, which is what day? Sunday, so Lord's Day, first day of the week, each of you is to set something aside and save in keeping with how he prospers so that no collections will need to be made when I come. What is he saying there? He's saying you need to prepare to give. Let's go back to the beginning of the verse. You need a purpose in your heart. You need to decide, hey, on the first day of the week, now listen, look at me, that ain't when you get up Sunday morning and go, oh, man, 
where's the checkbook? I got to write a check. I hate to go up there and not turn something in. Or when you get here and you sit here and they, they start passing the, the hat and you go, oh, this guy's over here getting money out. And I've, heard, I've heard preachers say this. Now, brothers, we need some of that folding money, not some of that rattling money. <laughs> no, let me tell you what we need. We need hearts that are surrendered to Christ. If you've surrendered your heart to Christ, your checkbook goes with it. If you surrender your life to Christ, your heart to Christ, your family goes with it. Your calendar goes with it. Your schedule goes with it. Because it's His. We don't need to guilt people. And we don't need to come throwing something together at the last minute. We need to come prepared. Hey, man, I can't wait. I can't wait to put this in the box. I can't wait to hit send or give on my little app. I can't wait to look at my, uh, I'm going to pull my app up and look at my bank account. Boom, man, my tithes has already gone in. Woo, bless the Lord. That's the attitude we need to have. Listen, to, this, is a, this is one of the most unique stories in all of Scripture, okay? In Mark 12, we find this story where Jesus is with his disciples and he's observing the receiving of the tithes and offerings at the temple treasury. Now, they're watching all these people come in and bring these extravagant gifts, and they're watching, and they're watching, and the you disciples are just, you know, just trying to take it all in. Don't, don't ever deify a disciple, okay? A, a disciple's a person. A disciple's a man. These guys are just trying to figure all this stuff out. Yeah, they had the greatest teacher that's ever been walking with them, but they're still like us, they're kind of thick-headed. They're trying to figure all this out. And so they come in, and they see large amounts being brought, but Jesus made note of this little widow woman who, and this is what the Bible says, Two tiny coins worth very little. Yours might say a widow's might. All right? And here's what he said in verses 43 and 44 of Mark 12. He summons his disciples, and this is what Jesus says. I assure you, this poor widow has put in more than all those giving to the temple treasury. For they gave, or I'm sorry, for they all gave out of their surplus, but she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she possessed, all she had to live on. Now, if you do the research, the widow's might or the two very tiny coins or whatever your, verse, your translation says, that was one-sixty-fourth of a day's wage. One-sixty-fourth of a day's wage. Now, in Mobile, Alabama, in 2021, here's what that is, $2.71. That's what she brought. And Jesus said, she's brought more than all the rest of them. Why? Because she didn't give out of her surplus. She didn't give out of her abundance. She gave out of obedience. There is absolutely nothing that moves the heart of God like obedience. You can sing all the songs and preach all the sermons and do all the good deeds, but if you don't do them out of obedience, you're not moving the heart of the Father. The Father's heart is moved by obedience. I want my kids to clean their room or do the laundry or do the dishes or take out the trash, but it doesn't move my heart that they do those things. It moves my heart because they do it because they want to honor me and their mama. I'd rather pay somebody to take the trash out than for them to do it like, oh, I, hate, I hate this place and I hate having to do this. That wouldn't bless me. And it doesn't bless God when we do that the way we give. It's also key if you back up a few verses, you see in verse 40 of that same passage that Jesus criticizes the scribes in part because of this. And this is the quote. He says, they devour widows' houses and say long prayers just for show. Now that means the key is not giving all you have, but it's about being willing to give all you have. 
So we have grudgingly giving, we have guilty giving, but finally we have the one that we want to land on and we want to, we want to put our lives here. We want to do godly giving. Godly giving. The last part of that verse is one of my favorites. That God loves a cheerful giver. Let's look at those two words. Loves and cheerful. The word love there is agapao. Agapao. And it's the word we get. Uh, it comes from agape. That, that Christ-like love. That abundant love. Agapao is to regard with strong affection. Now look at what it means. God has strong affection. Not to those who give a lot. Not to those who give the most. Not to those who give in front of everybody but because they have obedience. The word cheerful there is hilaros. Now, what does that sound like to you? Hilaros. Hilarious. That's where we get that English word. And here's what it means. Happy, merry, prompt, or willing. So those of you that maybe don't understand, let me use hilarious in a sentence, all right? All right this is for the UM students. I'm just kidding. <laughs> all right, hilarious. If God loves a cheerful giver then I want our giving to be downright hilarious. That's how I want to use that word in a sentence. If God loves a cheerful giver, then I want to be ecstatic. I want to be over the moon, hilarious. I want to be so excited about giving because if I, God loves a cheerful giver, man, I want to go one step above that. I want God to be blessed by the way I give. I want Him to, I want him to sense my obedience. And not just obedience because I know I'm supposed to, but obedience because I get to. It's not that you have to give, it's that you get to give. We almost played a video. I had the guys look for it, and I just, I just decided against it. But there's a great video. It's a guy in a donut shop, and the other guy comes by, and he says, Hey, I have these 10 donuts. Do you want them? And he just gives them to him, 10 donuts for free. He's like, I don't have to pay you for them? He says, No, you can just have them. He says, Oh, all right, thanks. And so the guy leaves. He comes back. He says, Hey, I just realized I'm running late for my meeting. Can I have one of those donuts back? And the guy's like, Well, I've already eaten a couple of them, and uh, you know, my wife will probably want one, and, and my kids might want one. And I, I don't know if I'm going to have time for lunch. I really want to... No, I, I, I don't think I'm going to better give you one. That's what we do when we tell God we can't give back. He's given you all ten. What are you gonna, how are you going to hold back? 1 Timothy 6.17, Paul's writing this letter to his young protege, Timothy, and he says, Instruct those who are rich in the present age not to be arrogant, or to set their hope on the uncertainty of wealth, but on God, who richly provides us with all things to enjoy. Listen to the psalmist in Psalm 24.1. The earth and everything in it, the world and its inhabitants belong to the Lord. That means that everything that you have belongs to the Lord. If you're an inhabitant, if you exist in this world, you belong to Him. And then there's no better admonition for us on how to give in a godly way. If you want to do godly giving, let me give you the, the corner post. Let me give you the anchor point of godly giving. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave. He gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. He gave. You didn't earn it. You didn't, you didn't leverage God into giving it. You didn't grease the tracks. You didn't bend his arm. He loved you enough that he gave his only begotten Son. And then Jesus says in Matthew 6, 19-21, Don't collect for yourselves treasures on earth where moss and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but collect for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves don't break in and steal. And here's the, here's the pivot point. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Your checkbook and your calendar point to who you worship. Every time. 
when I worked at Farley, there were several guys that worked with me, and they would say, man, I, I was going to retire. I thought I had a retirement plan, and then I, made, I put some money in some stocks, and they, they had split the stock, and they put a bunch of money in this one, and it went way up. It was kind of like Enron. If I remember Enron, they put all this money in this stock, and all of a sudden, it went up, and the bubble burst, and a lot of them, they couldn't get out of it before it plummeted, and so their, their, their 401k took a huge hit, and they were still working because they didn't have that money. They had lost that money in the stock market. Let me tell you, Giving to God is so much better than the stock market because there's no highs and lows. You just keep giving to God and God just keeps using it and expanding the kingdom and blessing you because of it. And, and by the way, you don't give to God and expect to be blessed. You give to God because you're being obedient and then you take whatever comes. Just because I give to God doesn't mean I'm going to be healthy. Just because I give to God doesn't mean I'm not going to have any heartaches or problems. But I'm giving to God because I'm obedient. Let me tell you something. Nobody's getting out of this thing unscathed. If you're in this world, especially if you're trying to be a follower of Christ, you're going to have persecution. You're going to have problems. This flesh is going to cause you to be sick and to have death and loss and hurt. But let me tell you something. That should never impact your giving. The two are not synonymous. They're not connected. You give out of obedience and you give out of joy because the Lord loves a cheerful giver. And then you take whatever comes next. One of the primary results of giving like God is that it gives us a sense of peace because we're in better alignment with His will. Here's the third statement. Remember I told you a statement for each? Here's the third statement about the Spirit. The Spirit will not allow you to have peace until you allow Him to have priority. The Spirit will not allow you to have peace until you allow Him to have priority. Are you struggling with your walk? Maybe it's because you're being disobedient in this area. Maybe it's because you're disobedient in several areas. I'm going to tell you this morning, you better get your house clean. Whatever it is, if you're struggling with finding peace, man, get rid of some of that junk. Stop watching stuff you're not supposed to watch and thinking stuff you're not supposed to think and holding on to stuff that really isn't yours. Start giving. Start being free to let God bless you in the way that you give in obedience and see what that does for your peace factor. So I'm going to close, and, and this is a long closing, so don't, don't everybody get all excited. Let me, let me give you what giving is, okay? What giving is. Giving is a commitment. Giving is a symbol of trust. Giving is an acknowledgement of God's sovereignty. What you're saying is, God, I trust you more than I trust the bank. I trust you more than I trust my broker. I trust you more than I trust stuffing money in my mattress or whatever it is you do. And let me tell you what giving is not. Giving is not bribery. Giving is not greasing the rails of God's blessings. It's not manipulation and it's sure isn't negotiation. That's what it's not. And here's why. Because here's what God is not. God is not a lottery ticket. God is not a slot machine. And God is not some genie in a lamp that you rub and when he pops out he gives you whatever you want. You rub the lamp by giving money and God pops out and gives you whatever you want. You've got a twisted picture of who the sovereign king of the universe is. Because here's who God is. He is the sovereign God of all creation. He's the master of the universe. As the psalmist said, He's the owner of everything and everything in everything. Jesus gives another great example here in Luke 6, 38. He says, Give and it will be given to you with good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. Now, this doesn't mean that God will always give you back more money than you give to the church. And I know there are some slimy televangelists that try to convince you, hey, if you can't make your house payment, send me $1,000 and God will pay your house off this year. I, listen, I'm just going to be honest with you. I hope their heart is right with the Lord, but I wish God would strike them dead when they say that. I'm just being honest. I told you, April's the grace. I'm not the grace. I'm the prophet. 
I'm the justice guy. That is an abomination. That's not what Scripture says, and it's taking advantage of people who are desperate to get relief. And, and I, there's going to be a hotter place in hell, I think, for some of those people. I grew up in the Assembly of God Church, First Assembly in Florella. And, and back then, you know, there was a big uh, popularity for uh, uh, Jimmy Swaggart. And, and Jimmy Swaggart had a great ministry. Man, he'd play piano, and he'd sing, and he'd preach. And, you know, man, he, he would just he'd get all lathered up, and people loved to watch Jimmy Swaggart. And they were giving money to his church. And I know several people at our church, when he fell, when he had to come out and, and make his admission, I've sinned. And he had to, all this stuff came out in the news. By the way, you ever notice none of these people ever ask for forgiveness before they get caught? Anyway, so, so he gets caught. He asks forgiveness. He tells what's happened. There were a lot of people in our church that were really broken over that because they had been given to his ministry. And they felt like, man, I've been supplying money for him to do all these terrible things. Let me tell you, so that's not how giving works. You give, and I'm going to just tell you this, and I'm not saying this because I'm a pastor. I'm saying this because this is biblical. You give first and foremost to your church. Now listen, you say, well, I give to this guy and this guy and this guy and this guy. Uh Uh-uh. You start here. This is your family of faith. This is where God has planted your life. This is where you give. And if you want to give outside of that, above and beyond, you go ahead. But the Lord is leading you to be a member of this church. Then he's leading you to give to this church to further the ministries of this body. But when you give money to these televangelists or whoever, don't be surprised when they do something wrong with it. But that doesn't condemn you. You gave with the right spirit. You gave where you thought you were being obedient. God's going to bless that. You're not going to get penalized because somebody does something terrible with the money you send them. But it's also this this kind of thought that that this, this verse is not the Bible telling us this is how you give, that you give and then God gives. That you, that you give and you, and you get back. That's not what this verse is saying. That's not what the Bible as a whole is saying. It's saying that you give out of obedience and then you just trust God. And, and y'all really, most everything in our lives, when we get right down to it, if, we tr- if we're troubling over stuff, it's because of a lack of trust. And, and I'm, I'm aiming that at me, by the way. I'm preaching that one to me. What the Bible tells us when, and what this verse is saying is when we are faithful to give God what He desires then He will format our desires to be in line with Him. Pressed down, shaken together, and overflowing. When we give in obedience, He aligns our giving and our hearts to His purposes and His desires. So now, y'all know I'm a visual learner, and some of you are not, and this is going to be weird. I apologize. But some of us are visual, so here's what I want you to do. I want everybody to close your eyes for just a minute. All right? Everybody close your eyes for just a minute. And here's what I want you to do. We just talked about in Daniel 7, the Ancient of Days, and we see God with the white hair and the white robes and the the aura of glory. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to picture God giving to you. Okay? Everybody eyes closed. Picture God giving something to you. Okay? Do you see him as a grumpy old curmudgeon? that only gives because it's basically essentially being pried out of his hands? Do you see him splitting hairs? Do you see him like going back and thinking about Scripture and trying to figure out what he's required to give you and and trying to think about the legalistic side of that? Well, I don't really have to give him this much, and I could give him a little bit less. Or do you prefer to see him as our loving Abba Father who gives generously and graciously and joyously? Everybody look at me for a second. Everybody got a picture of how you want God to look? How you you think of God when He gives to you? Now here's the big question for the day. 
How do you want God to see you when you give? How do you want God to see you when you bring your tithes and offerings, when you give of your time and talents? Now, I told you I would give you my opinion on the two sides of the story, and here it is. I think that the tithe or a tenth of your gross income is still an expectation based on the totality of scriptural references to giving that I found. Now, again, I'm not as dogmatic about that as some would like, probably. I'm not as dogmatic about that as I am the virgin birth, the sinless life, the death, the burial, the resurrection. But I think just based on the, the preponderance of evidence, I think that it is something that is still a requirement or at least an expectation. However, I 100% believe that there is no dispute over the fact that giving is a clear expectation in the New Testament for the New Testament church. So I will tell you that even if you don't think the tithe is a requirement for the New Testament church, here's what I would submit to you this morning, brother and sister. It's a really good spot to start. If you're not sure about it, you say, well, I just don't know if that tithe is required or not. I'm still telling you it's a really good place to start. And by the way, even if you think the tithe is the expectation, look at me, it's still just a very good place to start. If you want to give generously, you want God to give generously to you, then why don't you give generously to God? Ultimately, we must be obedient to give whatever God leads us to give because He has set the example by giving us Jesus and every other blessing we know. If we refuse to be obedient with our money, we will refuse to be obedient with our other resources. I'm telling you this right now. Money is just an indicator. It's not the end-all, be-all. Your money is an indicator of where your heart is. Where your heart is, your tr where your treasure is, your heart will be there. That's the thing. When we treasure money more than we treasure obedience, it's, it's indicated clearly in the way we give. So here's, we're going to close with this. If you are a regular giver, if you're a regular tither, then I want you to listen to me. I want to say thank you. If that's what you're doing, if you are giving, tithing regularly, I want to say thank you from the bottom of my heart. Not, not, not because of me, but because that honors the Lord. And then here's the second thing. If you're not a regular giver, if you're not tithing, if you're not giving in obedience, here's what I want you to do. Here's the phrase I want you to hold on to. I want you to wade into obedience. I'm just, I'm just being honest with you. If you're not giving, you're, being, you're living in disobedience, and I want you to get out of that. Not, not, because of, not because I want more money in the offering, not because we want to build things and do things. We do. And we're going to talk about more of that next Sunday night. But here's the thing. I want you to feel the freedom it is to live in obedience to the Lord Jesus Christ. To live your life in full surrender means that you let go of anything you're holding on to that you're telling Him, mine. That's why I want you to wade into obedience because I want you to experience the depths of the grace and mercy of Almighty God. And I don't believe you can do that while you're living in obedience or living in disobedience. So, if you would stand with me, I know this is a strange thing to transition from, but it's really not. If you'll just give me a little grace here, I want you to hear me. So, so Brother Kevin, how are we going to do an invitation? We're going to bring up, we're going to pass a basket. We're going to come lay money at the, at the foot of the cross. No, here's what we're going to do. We're going to do what we do every week. I'm going to do what I ask you to do every week. And if, if, it, if it gets like a broken record, I, I don't apologize. I'm going to ask you, each one of you individually, I'm going to ask you to be obedient to what the Holy Spirit of God is prompting you to do this morning. If the Holy Spirit of God is prompting you this morning that you need to give more, then I want you to do that. If the Holy Spirit is prompting you this morning to tell you, hey, you've never given your life to Christ, so it really doesn't matter what you put in the offering. Your life has not been given to Christ. Your offering is meaningless. 
Because listen to me. You could give millions of dollars to this church and without Christ, you'll be the most generous person in hell for all eternity. If you're here today you don't know Christ, that's the first thing you need to give is you need to give your life to Jesus. If you're here this morning, you've given your life to Christ, but you're not walking in obedience, whether that's in your giving or what you're watching or what you're thinking about or doing or whatever, I want you to be obedient. If you're here this morning and you say, Brother Kevin, I need a church. I need, to, I need to identify with a body of believers. Then you can do that today. The invitation is open to all that. But the principle, the premise is always obedience. Whatever God is doing in your life, as we sing, you be obedient. And I know that God will bless it. Listen, I come broken. I come broken to be mended. I come wounded to be healed. I come desperate to be rescued. I come empty to be filled. I come guilty to be pardoned by the blood of Christ the Lamb, and I'm welcome with open arms, praise God, just as I am. Uh, We're going to close this morning. I'll close this with a word of prayer and we're going to go offline and if you would just hold with us for just a minute. We have just a little bit of business we have to take care of. So if you're watching with us online, thank you so much. You can find links in the comments to uh, to give or fill out a connect card. We'd love to know if there's a way we can minister to you. Uh, but for our uh, watching online folks, I'm going to pray and then we're going to close and I'm going to ask you all to be seated as we do our little business time. Okay, let's pray. Lord, thank you for this day. God, anything that's been said that's not of you, I pray you would snatch it up. I pray you would crumble it up and throw it away. But God, everything that's yours, everything that you're commanding us to do, I pray that we would act on it out of obedience to the glory of God the Father. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.